You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Our number two is underway on AM 1420. The answer. Back to live radio. After an hour of best of, we had some serious technical glitches. I don't know what they are. I mean, because basically, if I uh, if I don't if I don't see the plug that has fallen out of the wall, I'm I'm lost as to whatever went wrong. If I can plug something back in and make it work, I'm good to go. Uh, if it goes beyond that, I'm it's a mystery to me. That's why we left it all up to our good man Johnny Hiles, our producer who ran the entire thing, got everything fixed up for us, played the best of segments, which were really really good, by the way. Not. That's not a self-congratulatory thing. I just loved Bill O'Reilly, and I loved Dave Rubin. They were just great conversationalists, so I really enjoyed that. So hopefully you enjoyed those. Maybe you missed those the first time around. That's the beauty sometimes of uh, playing best ofs, that uh, they're not just recaps for you, but uh, for the first time maybe you heard those. So we are back live now. It is, uh, let me count it up here, looks about 12 minutes after 10 o'clock. Uh, on this seventh morning of the sixth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. And as it is a Tuesday... I'm so glad we got live again because I would not want to miss an opportunity to chat with our good friend, the brilliant Peter Kersenow, member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights, the longest serving such member of that board. He is also a best-selling author. He is a columnist. He is an attorney as well. And he joins us on AM 1420, The Answer and Always Right Radio. Good morning, Pete. How are you, my friend? You know, uh, doing better than you, apparently. Um, I'm, glad. <laughs> I'm glad you got things worked out. The good news is you have precious few glitches from what I can see uh, over the years, so uh, that's good. But uh, otherwise, I wish it was a sunny day. I guess we'll get the sun soon enough. But uh, other than that, things are going well. Well, that's good to hear. I'm glad it's going well for you personally and, and, and maybe, you know, in, in, in uh, micro settings. But macro level, boy, uh, nothing is going well in this country. I was... I, and, and and there's a lot of different things we'll drill down on here, but just in a general sense, I'm not even kidding you this morning when I was preparing my show, as I always do, and I start putting this piece of audio together, that piece of audio, this story, this quote, all these different things that I want to talk about. It is a remarkable time in our country's history for this many things to be going this badly all at the same time. And, and literally for all of them, well, I shouldn't say all of them, because I will give a nod to covid causing disruptions that that required some you know some some stabilization because they disrupted the last year of president trump's presidency all of the great gains in terms of employment and and economics and energy output all these different things we saw were a lot more uh difficult uh and and they suffered to some degree in the last year of the trump presidency because of covid so while i will give a nod to the pandemic and the recovery from the pandemic Outside of that, everything that's going wrong with this country right now has coincided with the leadership of the the Let's Go Branded administration, Pete. And I'm talking about, as I put the show together today, I'm just looking at this this extraordinary wave of gun violence, looking at the mayor of New York City, Eric Adams, talking about how the extraordinary refusal of district attorneys and judges to enforce the law has turned that place, I think he called his city, the laughing stock of America when it comes to violent crime. And I know that in a few other cities, 
San Francisco, Los Angeles, Chicago. Those mayors are probably, while they wouldn't want to say so into an open microphone, probably thinking, hold my beer, Eric. It's way worse here. And guess what? It's because of the same um, let's reform the criminal justice system, no cash bail, mm-hmm. and, and all of these things that are going on, equity in terms of um, uh, in terms of the prison population and so on and so forth. All of these things are happening at a time now. We are at a new high, 496. There are about 13 states that are averaging over $5 a gallon for gasoline. The inflation rate is at a 40-year high and almost guaranteed when the next quarterly number comes out to be an even higher number than, than that 40-year high. Um, there's, there's no baby formula for kids. We have to have them shipped in, have to have pallets of it shipped in, uh, as if we were the third world country that we once used to export that sort of thing to. Um, I, I mean, I could sit here and just go on and on and on about, you know, what's going on with our schools. And, and, and Peter, Joe Biden seems to think that everything is okay. And, and, and in fact, actually said this just three days ago, Pete. Since I took office, families are carrying less debt. Their average savings are up. A recent survey from the Federal Reserve found that more Americans feel financially comfortable than any time since the survey began in 2013. <laughs> Tone death doesn't begin to describe no. this man. And, and, and again, I just gave you the, the, you know, the, the snapshot headlines there, Pete. We could go on for an hour listing how many things right now that are, Americans are suffering from ever since Brandon took the White House. Uh, more than an hour. We could go on for at least a day with just a little bit of editorial comment. And going to one of the first things you said, and you, you uh, gave a pretty good litany of what's going on, it's not coincidence at all. You can take, a, this is not simply a matter of they tried something that they thought was going to be good, and, you know, for a variety of reasons, uh, different factors may intersect and have caused uh, deleterious issues that they hadn't anticipated. No, this is not coincidence. They've been trying to do these things. You can take a uh, direct line, draw a line from a policy prescription of theirs to some calamity that's occurred, as you indicated, from crime, immigration, um, inflation, gas prices, Afghanistan, you name it, a whole host of issues, and it's directly related to an overt act, intentional act taken by this administration. Not all of them were intentional, uh, but many of them are, especially the entire Green New Deal agenda. Uh, this is very serious. We've talked about this before. It goes beyond the discrete negative issues, immigration, crime, etc. We are seeing um, what I, I don't want to be histrionic. I'm a boring lawyer. Uh, we deal with facts. We deal. We try to be as sober as possible. But uh, I'm not alone in this. Uh, historians who have much more knowledge than I do, although I try to read a little bit of history every single day, but the Victor Davis Hansons of the Worlds and, and others see us at a fulcrum. We're at a tipping point here where uh, you know, we've been talk- I've been talking about the tipping point for the last eight or nine years now, but it's so manifest now. And if we can't get it back shortly, um, you know, I've, I've said this a number of years ago, and we continue to go down this slide. I don't know if we're at a tipping point or already on the downside slope, which will make it much more difficult to scramble back up just to get to even. We thought we were there with Trump for at least a number of issues, but uh, boy, oh boy, those that wish this country bad uh, have prevailed for the moment. Oh, by the way, um, before I go any farther, I want to, first of all, I was honored to give a commencement address at Independence High School on Sunday, and I should tell you, Bob, that um, I spoke literally to scores of people who are 
devoted listeners of the show. So to those who are listening, I want to give a shout out. Uh, a number of the people came up afterwards to say that, uh, you know, they hear me on the Bob France show. It was really remarkable. I was kind of stunned by the, the uh, number of people who had expressed that. And I appreciate the show in general, because let's face it, we don't have enough outlets out there. The media is dominated by the left, so it's an oasis when we hear a Bob France, either, you know, your own show or when you guest host for uh, one of the other folks on Salem. You know, and there's some of the other radio hosts are, are decent too, but uh, there, uh, I, I talked to a number of people who said that uh, when, when they're in the car, the Bob Francis show, and they're going someplace, you know, they still stay in the car even though they have an appointment so they can listen to one last morsel of the show. But uh, I want to give a shout out to the fine folks there, Ben Hegedish, who's the superintendent, Jamie Hogue, who's the principal who invited me to speak, the fine student speakers there outside of the Lyceum in South Euclid, which is a remarkable school that I think I've mentioned on your show several times. You know, uh, independent high school, independent school systems, they, they've done themselves proud and their kids proud. Small school system, but they punch well above their weight. They, In fact, when I was there, they had just come back from, or many of the, the graduating seniors had just come back from the state track championships where, you know, they, they didn't do as well as they hoped because they thought they were going to win the one by or the four by 100, but uh, one of their guys pulled a hamstring, which was my nemesis all the time. But uh, anyway, just shout out to them but going back to the well no hold on hold on hold on before you go back on i want to talk about independence for a second and also by the way they had a kid pull a hammy why didn't they put in kirsten off for one race kirsten off for one kirsten off for one that's (laughs) one race one race one leg of one race the guy who pulled the hammy actually ran faster than my best time, and I was completely disgruntled about it. I still have a couple of records uh, that I found out. The principal recited a number. They did a tremendous amount of research, you know, and I was impressed because I didn't even realize some of this stuff that they were talking about. But uh, nonetheless, they have one guy there who is, he's in, you may not remember this, Bob, it's a little bit before your time, but one of the fastest guys in the history of Ohio was a guy by the name of Eric Pennock, went on to play at Notre Dame. Uh, he won the state track championship for Gilmore Academy all by himself. He's the only guy from Gilmore back in 1971 to go down to the state track championships. He won the 100-yard dash, back then was the yards, the 220, and the 440. And I think he placed in the shot also. Only guy and won the state track championships. So, wow. Uh, and I was always second to him, you know. But uh, this this one, uh, the the guy who is setting the records in Interpens or set records is a guy, I, and I apologize, his name, his last name is Stralka. He was also the valedictorian of the class. Wow. Uh, a really impressive individual and gave one of the student addresses. So fine group of people, tremendous parents and relatives and support. The administration there was phenomenal. Um, I tried not to give too much of a political speech, but I got to tell you, uh, we were in, if you were there, Bob, you would have been very comfortable because it's our kind of well, people. Well, very you know, that's, I'm glad you said that, Peter, because that was what I was going to ask you. You know, I mean, I think that makes you like the fifth conservative to be invited to give a commencement address nationwide. And I, mean, <laughs> I, 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 I literally, literally at the collegiate level, um, they, they, there were four that, uh, some, I can't remember what publication tra- tracked it, but, but literally yeah. four Four uh, well-known, avowed conservatives were invited to give addresses. And, of course, they faced protests where they were anyway, uh, except for Hillsdale and maybe one or two other places. Uh, but all of the others are, are either non-political or left-wing speakers uh, completely. And so I'm curious, was there any pushback by independents? I mean, it's a public school. I'm glad, you, no, as you no, say, it's our, our kind of people, so to speak. In other words, yep. meaning constitutional patriots, which is what I would consider to be our kind of people. But I still think in public schools, given the way things are turned, that there might be somebody who's like, who? They're going to let that. Well, what do you describe yourself as? 
to the right of uh, of Attila the Hun, right? Genghis Khan. Yeah, oh, Genghis Khan or Attila I always, the Hun. Either, I, either I, always say, I always say Attila the, the Hun. You know, all those uh, yeah. those medieval mass murderers. I apologize. Uh, but you're, you're, you always say you always say you're you're to the right of Genghis Khan. So, um, it, it, did anybody anybody complain at all about your, your not appearance? not at all? In fact, what I did, Bob, is I toned down my comments. I wanted to make them as non political as possible. Although you could clearly tell where I'm coming from on these things. Mm-hmm. I was just I was just giving uh, an exposition on Americana. Really, um, you know, I want to disabuse him of the fact that uh, you know people are constantly criticizing the United States of America, and uh, my my speech was really around how great the country is, and it's the greatest country in the history of the world. Not perfect, as I say, it's not a perfect country, but a good and great country. But I had no pushback whatsoever. Everyone there was extremely polite, in fact, welcoming. So many people came up afterwards, as I said, uh, to talk about the Bob France show, and of course, you know, they've seen me on Tucker and everything else. But uh, this, these were phenomenal people. They are. They should be proud of their city, their institution, uh, the, the school there, the administration, and especially the kids there. Uh, really remarkable. And, you know, it, it gives you um, a little bit – I was heartened by it because, Bob, you and I talk about, you know, the horrific um, state of our educational system for good reason. Yeah. Um, and, and especially in, you know, urban areas, but almost everywhere. And the critical race theory and other nonsense that's being peddled out there. Um, but you know what? Um, there are a lot of places where people are trying to do good work. They may be even to the left of center, you know, but they're trying to do good work and they understand what their priorities are. That is, it's not about them and their ideology, that is, with respect to the teachers and administration. It's about the kids. And clearly, the parents, I have to say, um, I was kind of impressed by how frequently people said the same thing. At least a dozen moms came up to me afterwards and said they needed to hear that. Thank you so much. They that's needed awesome. to hear that. Thank you so much. Uh, it, it, it was great. It, it gave me a lot of optimism for the future, whereas I've been pessimistic for quite some time now, especially with this administration. And with the encroaching leftism that we see that is permeating all of our institutions, dominating all of our institutions. Mm-hmm. So, Bob, you're making an impact. No ifs, ands, or buts about well. it. That's just one a microcosm of what's going on. And uh, if this is any indication of what's happening in certain other places, now, you know, there are certain places that may be lost to us for now. And it's going to be a huge uphill battle to try to regain where we were as a country before. But places like Independence High School, their administration there, and again, I, I, I don't presume to think that the entire administration or the um, um, uh, staff there, the faculty there agrees with me. And I'm sure there are people who are on the, on the left there. But the one thing that I appreciate and I think all Americans appreciate it, is it used to be at one time you could have all kinds of political opinions and be on different sides of an issue, but we all came together as Americans, as Americans. And we understood what the priorities are, and here the priorities were the kids, and I think they've done a great job. Now, I'm well, going to keep watching them, though, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I, they stray off course, you know, I won't have any hesitation to come on your show and just lambaste anybody, but no, this is a, a, a kudos to them. Great story. Glad you told it. Glad to know about it, by the way, and I'm going to expect to see a lot more independence on my call screen uh, from now on. I want to hear callers. Seriously, if you're out there, I mean, look, let, let's let's be realistic. While there are a lot of communities that are more, you know, patriotic minded, more constitutionally minded, I like to say that more the conservative, because I don't think it's about ideology as much as it ought to be about constitutionality. But but at any rate, there are, of course, you know, little, little se- uh, segments of our Northeast Ohio region, but generally speaking, it's blue because of Cleveland. And so if you're out there, 
and you are conservative-minded, if you are constitutional-minded, if you are of Peter Kersenow's mind, so to speak, you need to be louder, you need to be more vocal, you need to let everybody know you're there, because too many people don't know. They think they're alone, they think they can't speak up for fear of being canceled when there is safety and there is strength in numbers. So I really want to hear from more people if you're in independence, and that seems to be kind of the way you think, and particularly if you're associated with schools or parents or whatever, I would very much like to hear that. Pete, we're going to take a time out here because it's 1026, and when we come back, so many of the things you and I just talked about prior to the independence uh, story, and congrats, by the way, on that, um, we expect to be rectified by the midterms. We expect so many of these problems to be solved by the November midterm elections. But you um, are of the mind that the GOP has been wimpy and has been lazy in their messaging in trying to take advantage of this situation and try to correct things in November. I'm going to let you speak to that when we come right back on Always Right Radio with Bob France, Peter Kirsten, our guest, AM 1420, The Answer. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. So we continue now at 1037 on AM 1420, The Answer. Always Right Radio. Always Right Radio is online at alwaysright.us. Peter Kirsten now continues with us. Hey, Pete, uh, just because I had to during the break, I just Googled up Genghis Khan versus Attila the Hun. (laughs) Did you know there's a 20-minute YouTube video? Uh, who would win a battle between Genghis Khan and Attila the Hun? That's actually a thing. See, that's an appropriate use for YouTube. You know, that's that's the kind of stuff we should have on YouTube. <laughs> uh, and apparently there's more than one as I just look at the results here. There's a few different things there about the Huns and Mongols and uh, Attila and Genghis Khan. It's really kind of an amazing thing. Anyway. Peter, let's uh, let's get back on track now and talk about this. And, and by the way, I did not even mention you did when I was just kind of running through some of the litany of things that, were, that I was researching this morning and prepping the show for. I didn't even mention the 15,000-member caravan, which is apparently amassing at the uh, southern border of Mexico in order to make their way up to the southern border of the United States and in. And they're all demanding, Joe, let us in, Joe, let us in. You promised, you promised, um, which is true, by the way. And... Um, Kamala Harris is supposed to be the border czar, supposed to be the one managing the illegal immigration crisis. And, of course, we all know what has been said for the last year and a half. Well, she's meeting with, you know, some of the other leaders of the other countries to see what the the root cause is and why they all want to leave their countries and come to the United States. Um, Janine Pirro said this about that. Look, here's the thing. You think the woman as a prosecutor would understand that if our money is going to corrupt governments in Central America and she has been tasked with the idea of finding out what the root causes of of immigration are, that she would do exactly what you're talking about, Jesse. That is common sense. But this woman is lazy. She is a lazy human being. She doesn't want to focus her message. She doesn't want to get out there. She's been in Latin America for Three, I guess three full days. Meanwhile, Joe Biden was there a few weeks ago, six days in a row. And now they have it. They have an end game. They want to try to get people to the summit of America's. She's calling everybody and begging them to show up. And they won't show. And they won't show. <laughs> I mean, the woman is she's more than a laughing stock. She's more than someone who's inept. She is lazy. She doesn't deserve a job. She should just resign. She's. 
So, Pete, include that in your uh, analysis that I'm about to ask you to offer about where we stand right now. That is such an extraordinarily important issue that just seems to be, you know, have been kind of pushed to the side because of gun violence, because of mass shootings, because of baby formula, because of gas, because of inflation. We've almost ignored the, the crisis at the border. Include that in your, your analysis as you tell us, are the Republicans doing enough right now to make sure that this massive transition in November is going to happen. You mentioned their their messaging being off. You mentioned their focus being off. You mentioned that uh, in some ways they're they're being wimpy. Um, how should Republicans be responding right now? You know, a lot of us for a long time used to ridicule the Republican Party as a stupid party. And, you know, of course, they are the stupid party, but they shouldn't be the lazy party. And they're extraordinarily lazy. And also they capitulate to Democrats at the drop of a hat. We want people who are going to defend the United States of America and American citizens. And if Republicans are not going to do it, we're going to have to find somebody who will. You know, you look at the Mitch McConnells and Lindsey Grahams and those who are talking about, you know, coming up with some kind of compromise on gun control, they should understand having spent more years in the Senate and more years in Washington than anybody can count that there is no compromise on these issues. The left takes a little bit and then a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and they never ever stop. But they're constantly compromising. But the point is this, Bob, the issue that you mentioned with respect to illegal immigration is a gigantic issues with, issue with a number of spokes emanating from it. Uh, it does so much profound harm to the United States of America in so many ways, but most predominantly in terms of our own sovereignty. It is an abdication of sovereignty. You don't have a nation if you don't have a border. Yet what are Republicans doing? Republicans are making not that many more trips to the border than Kamala Harris, the border czar, has made. And they, from, from the sheer standpoint of their own party prospects, yes, we all understand that this looks like it's going to be the most horrific midterm election for a governing party possibly since 1888. But you know what? There's more at stake than simply taking over a narrow majority, or even if it looks to be pretty sizable. People think that maybe the, the Republicans will take uh, a 30 to 40 seat majority in the House, regardless. What is a majority unless you're going to exercise the power that comes there from and the power to make the United States better? But right now, we have to protect the United States of America, and that's where the immigration issue comes from, as I just indicated. We, we have to have a, uh, a strong border because we are being inundated so far by two million. Million, two million that we know of illegal immigrants, which means there are a lot more. They've admitted that they have identified at least 47 terrorists who've come across. And if that's who they've been able to identify and have been able, the terrorists are the ones who are going to try to avoid capture and evade detection more than anybody else. The figure's far higher than that. The tons of criminals that come across because it's the cartels who are controlling the border and bringing those folks in. And then we have a a drug overdose of monumental proportions right now. A hundred thousand people OD'd, died from drug overdoses. That's not to mention all of those whose lives have been devastated and ruined because of, of some form of drug addiction, including our kids, most importantly, our kids. All of these things are happening. And what are the Republicans doing? You know, at least if you're going to be the party out of power, we understand right now they don't have no means, you know, they, they can engage in um, you know, the kind of parliamentary, and I, I give Mitch McConnell the, the uh, props in terms of he knows how to engage in parliamentary maneuvers, and he does a decent job there. But 
having a bully pulpit, the presidency is the bully pulpit, but you've got other pulpits that can act as mini bully pulpits. And when you're the majority leader and you're just a senator or congressman, you have got the ability to affect the terms of the debate. The Democrats do this very well, but the Republicans are missing in action. And that's one of the most essential elements of making the case and driving public policy and protecting the United States of America. That is making the case constantly. And they have to understand they've got a, a big lift in doing that because all of the media is controlled by the left. So they have to work five, ten times as hard to get the message out. And they've got to do it. Okay, maybe they win the elections in, in um, November. That's insufficient, merely winning the elections. They have to have big majorities, and they've got to change the terms of the public policy debate. It should be the prevailing public policy debate and should be easy. Because we, meaning conservatives, are on the right side of 99.9% of these debates, and it's never been as clear as it is right now. The benefit of having a Biden administration is he's been able to show the clear demarcation between conservative policies and liberal policies, because it's only been a few months after he got elected, and it's only been a year and a half after, uh, it was only a few months after he got elected, and a year and a half since, since he got elected, that we have seen radical shifts to the detriment of the American people in immigration, crime, education, inflation, gas prices, foreign policy. Uh, it, 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 it just goes on and on. As you indicated, everything has gotten worse. And again, you can draw a direct line from some policy change, an announced policy change by the Biden administration and the deleterious effects of that change and profound deleterious effects. So where are they? Again, you know, this sounds like it's merely cosmetic because we're not engaging in any kind of substantive change to law or policy, but 90% of what these guys do is speaking and changing the terms of the public policy debate, changing hearts and minds and controlling the direction of the country, the cultural direction and the political direction of the country in a way that benefits the, the people of the United States of America. So where are they? That's what I want to know. Where are these guys? They're loaded. They've got a ton of material that's presented to them, but they dither and they come up with weak policy prescriptions and they don't understand what's happening, I think, in the grassroots. You and I, Bob, are out there. We're talking to the people, your, your listeners and folks like that on a regular basis. These politicians, that's their job. They should be doing that. And I, I think they are. But where are they? How come they're not vocal enough? Even if they don't command the airwaves the way the Democrats do, son of a gun. It, Bob, I'm out there speaking on a regular basis. I'm not running for office. I just think it's important to get this message out to Americans. And I constantly exhort people to call their elected representatives on certain issues to flood the zone. So these people are afraid of their of their constituents and do the bidding of their constituents. But more people have to get out there. And I, I fault the Republican Party for not have, having sharp messaging on this. It sounds cosmetic, but it's extraordinarily important to TR, Teddy Roosevelt, the bully pulpit, uh, sharp messaging and getting the people out there. Do your job. They should be working 24-7. They should be weary. They should be tired because they're constantly out there. It's just talking. It's not like they're out here at the steel plants, you know, uh, you know, uh, with the blast furnaces or up on a, uh, you know, uh, a, uh, uh, you know, con uh, construction yeah. crane or <clears throat> scaffolding or anything else like that. All they got to do is flap their gums. Flap no. them already. Do Pe something. <clears throat> Peter, let me, uh, let me jump in on this, too. Let's suppose for a second that they do all of those things. Uh, that they really re-engage and they really, you know, uh, overcome their laziness, as you call it, and they, and they really start doing this and they really start increasing, improving and increasing the messaging and so on and so forth. And I know I've asked you about this before, but I've got a very specific example now 
to ask you whether or not you think we can trust the results in November. That this this tsunami of 30 or 40 seat majority in the House and a two or three or four seat majority in the Senate that could be on its way um, will be allowed to happen without any chicanery, without any uh, any fraud. Um, and, and now I've got something specific and concrete to ask about. Uh, maybe you saw this, maybe you didn't. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution reported Based on the initial results posted on May 24th in the Atlanta or in the uh, Georgia primaries, uh, Democratic DeKalb County Commission candidate Michelle Long Spears came in third place and therefore did not qualify for a runoff. Spear, and but this is a Democrat, by the way. So I'm not suggesting mm-hmm. that this is you know Democrats cheating Republicans in this case. I'm just talking about the official um, method by which we determine winners and losers here. Spears and her team noticed that the initial results showed her receiving zero election votes at most most precincts in the district. So they ordered a hand count instead of the machine count. After the hand count was conducted over Memorial Day weekend, just concluded, Spears picked up over 3,600 votes and went from being in third place to first place. She now is in the June 21st runoff, assuming those results are certified. So you got a machine situation that, that counted her 3,600 votes light. They hand count and find out those 3,600 votes should be going to her. I just have no faith whatsoever here in Ohio or anywhere else where they're using the, the Dominion voting machines. And I don't even know if it is just Dominion. But if they're using these voting machines and they're not doing hand counts, I don't know that I can trust whatever total pops out of that machine, whatever little digital readout that they give us, Peter, because there are too many examples of fraud. And we saw some of that, uh, of course, proven in the uh, in the 2020 you know presidential election that the uh, Supreme Court would not hear. But now we see it here in this and in this case, it was a Democrat candidate in, De- in, uh, in Georgia who was victimized by this. So, I, I mean, you know, you know, the old adage, right? I mean, it's not who votes, it's who counts the votes that matters. We're at a point in our country now, again, this is one of the reasons why I'm afraid, why I think we're at a tipping point, why this is very dangerous, is voters have to have confidence in the integrity of elections. They have to think that their vote counts, and they have to think that's been counted accurately, and that there's no stuffing about, or any other kind of irregularities, even if it's not intentional. It's got to be accurate, okay? And right now, if you talk to Democrats, Republicans, and Independents, the vast majority of people have real questions about whether or not, at bare minimum, it's accurate, regardless of whether or not there's some type of intentional corruption. Now, <clears throat> one of my colleagues, Jay Christian Adams, who I've had on your show a couple of times when I've guest uh, hosted for you, mm-hmm. uh, is an election law expert. And he's now a colleague of mine on the Civil Rights Commission, having been appointed by President Trump uh, about a year and a half ago, or, or, or almost two years ago now. And I talk to Christian on a regular basis about this, because I do think he's one of the top two or three election law ex- experts in the country, if not the top election law expert. And he litigates these matters on a, on a regular basis. So uh, I may have mentioned this to you before, Bob, but in April of 2020, when I think most people thought that Donald Trump was going to win in April of 2020. Okay, remember, harken back to then, uh, Biden had just gotten or was on the verge of of, uh, sewing up the primaries and everything because of the uh, uh, endorsement of what's his name and they won South Carolina. But it looked like Trump's going to win in a walk. There's no way in the world, uh, you know, somebody as weak as Biden is going to win. And he called me and said, 
compete, we've lost. And I said, what the heck are you talking about? You know, I was just mystified. And he talked about all of the changes that have been made to the election process by virtue of COVID, and the Republicans weren't keeping up with what the Democrats were doing in terms of mail ballots and all the other things that, that uh, came about and the changes that were, that were coming about as a result of accommodating COVID. And um, again, I'm not an expert at these things, and I, I was just mystified. I said, you know, okay, I, I gave him the benefit of the doubt by saying that he thinks there's a problem here, but I didn't think there was any chance that there was going to be a problem. Well, you know, fast forward several more months, and we saw that there was a massive problem. Uh, this is extraordinarily dangerous. My point is, people ask me this all the time, and they get angry with me when I say, I don't know if there was fraud. That's the point. I don't know. That's bad enough as saying there was. And there's tons of evidence. If you look at the, you know, the, the 2000 Mules movie and uh, all kinds of other studies, and here's what bothers me the most, Bob, is the hysterical reaction of the media and Democrats, but I repeat myself, whenever somebody questions whether or not any discrete, whether it's the, the 2020 election or any others, but they go completely bonkers from the same folks who for five years kept telling us that the 2016 election was completely compromised by the Russians, which we now know everything about that was a gigantic hoax from A to Z. But here, and Hillary Clinton had no problem saying it's a you know, fraudulent election, blah, 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 and they said nothing. But now they go absolutely bonkers if you suggest that even a, you know, a Ward 6 councilman election has some problems. They go crazy. They're called election deniers. These are the same folks and who try to overturn theorists. the tw- Right, try to overturn the 2016 electoral count, try to get, remember, faithless electors to switch their votes. These are the folks now who think that January 6th was a a coup in the making, the biggest joke in the world, a gigantic joke on the merits. So the bottom line here is we're in trouble, regardless of whether or not you can prove fraud, prove irregularities. The majority of Americans, by every poll, thinks that there's a significant issue with the integrity of the elections. And when that happens, that undermines democracy because it undermines the faith in our institutions and the authority that people exercise coming from those institutions. That begins the dismantling of the republic. And it seems to me so many media folks have no problem in doing that and sowing the seeds whenever it favors their perceived side. We're, we're at a time right now, Bob, where I, I don't know what's going to happen next, but we better get a handle on this very fast because we are quickly disintegrating. We don't have the cohesiveness, even though we are always at one, you know, battling one another, Democrats, Republicans, left, right, etc. We still came under the rubric or under the banner of being Americans. Right now, can't say that so much. No, uh, you're exactly right, Peter, and it's, uh, it's a terrifying thing for our republic if the people do not have faith in the electoral system. Every problem we have eventually comes down to, well, we're going to have to vote them out and vote in the right people. Oh, we're going to have to primary this person and, uh, and put in somebody who's, who does it right. And, and that, I think, happens on both sides of the aisle. And yet, we can't count on primarying these people out if we can't trust the integrity of the vote. We can't, we can't count on winning a national election unless we can trust the integrity of the vote. And clearly, we cannot. These machines simply don't work. Sometimes they're human error, they say, in programming them, which is what happened in Georgia. It's what happened in Michigan. All of these different cases of, of uh, thousands of votes being miscast or not counted, um, it, 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 it gives me pause as much as I'm looking forward to November and trying to right the ship as this, uh, as this nation really kind of, you know, kind of struggling right now in the open waters, and it could very well go under. We try to right the ship in November, and... Uh, and we can't trust the uh, we can't trust the machines. We can't trust the integrity of the vote. Then, Peter, I don't know what we look forward to after that. 
So I guess that's where we leave it for this particular moment. Yeah, Bob, I've been remiss over the last few weeks in closing out by not saying, let's go, Brandon. Amen to that, brother. Thank you, Peter. Okay, take care. Peter Kirsten now joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. Let's go, Brandon, indeed. Quick time out right back on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three underway now, 10 minutes past 11 o'clock. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420. The answer, Always Right Radio, is online at alwaysright.us. Alwaysright.us. Hey, I want to remind you to make plans and get your tickets now. Get them now before the price goes up on them, because that will happen in about a week. Go to whkradio.com and get your tickets for our 100th anniversary celebration of WHK. The signal was flipped on in 1922. It is the oldest radio station in the state of Ohio, one of the 15 oldest radio stations in America to still be on the air 100 years or more after their um, uh, after their launch. And uh, we are going to celebrate it in grand style. We're going to be at Harry Buffalo in North Olmstead after being canceled by a downtown Cleveland restaurant in the flats. Um, you know, I'll tell you something. You just aren't conservative enough until you've been canceled. I think that's what we're finding out, right? Doesn't matter how conservative you profess to be, until somebody cancels you, you are not doing it right. Apparently, we were doing it right because we got canceled by a woke restaurant uh, in downtown Cleveland. We were trying to go centrally located to make it easier for people to get to. Instead, we needed a hero to step up, and Tony George stepped up in seconds and said, Bring it here. Bring the 100th anniversary celebration to Harry Buffalo in North Olmstead. And that's exactly what we're doing. Uh, so we got canceled. It proves we're doing it right, and we need you to do it right with us. June 21st, 4.30 for VIP. That's when the doors open. 6 o'clock for general admission. Music uh, begins at 7. It's going to be a phenomenal, phenomenal event. It's on June 21st. Uh, make sure you join us in North Olmstead at Harry Buffalo. Get your tickets now. Don't wait. The price is going up in about a week. Uh, get your tickets at whkradio.com. That's whkradio.com. All right. Um, I want to pivot a little bit. We've been talking for quite a bit now about uh, President Joe Let's Go Brandon's uh, push for gun control, push for a ban on assault weapons, or at least an increasing of the age until uh, 21, which, by the way, I find kind of hysterical that the left believes that you can't handle a gun at 18, but you can choose your gender and the future of your body at five. Just just one of those strange things, I guess. 
Anyway, uh, the gun control issue continues to be a very, very hot and a very, very important one here in the United States. It's settled already in Canada, and not for, uh, not, not, not to the, uh, to the satisfaction of people who believe in self-defense, because uh, Justin Trudeau, the prime minister in Canada, decided, yeah, no guns for anybody. It's not happening. We're introducing legislation to implement a national freeze on handgun ownership. What this means is that it will no longer be possible to buy, sell, transfer, or import handguns anywhere in Canada. It's kind of an astounding look at what could be happening on this side of that northern border. And joining us now to talk about what's going on on that side of it is a former member of the Canadian Parliament, who we have talked to because he has been a champion for liberty in Canada. He was one of the loudest voices in support of the truckers' convoy uh, up there uh, um, just about, what, two months, I guess it's been now. Randy Hillier joining us again on AM 1420, The Answer. Mr. Hillier, good to have you back on our program here in the States. How are you, sir? I am fine, and it's great to be on with you again, Bob. Well, uh, before you... But I would say, that, you know, this stuff is not settled here yet. This, this gun control is, you know, what we're seeing is this continuous, relentless demand and appetite for governments and bureaucracy to control people. That... But it's not settled. They're, they have taken another stab at it, and they're, they're going to make it more difficult. But uh, there is still much opposition to this, uh, uh, the hypocrisy and the contradictions uh, on gun control. Well, it is, it is all of those things. I agree with you. It is hypocritical, uh, and there are a lot of contradictions. But when I said settled, I was just simply referring to his announcement that this is now law. What what steps are there that can be taken to try to reverse that and restore some gun rights at least for Canadian citizens? So it's it hasn't become law yet. It still has to pass our Parliament. Um, it, you know, the it's been enunciated. Um, it will un- undoubtedly not come into effect uh, until uh, sometime this fall, at the earliest. I suspect, Bob. Um, and uh, and I have no doubt that it will, but, um, you know, these laws are meant to be changed. <laughs> and and there is strong opposition. We're also seeing, the, uh, we have never seen the, the increase in handgun sales in our country have, have just gone off the charts since that announcement as well, Bob. So... You know, the marketplace is making decisions. People are making decisions. And you can hardly buy a handgun right now. With They're flying off the shelves, and they're receiving such a premium uh, because there is such a demand for them. So... Well, that's a that's a familiar uh, occurrence because that. And by the way, thank you for the clarification. I did present that as in when Trudeau announced it as if it was settled, not something that still has to go through Parliament. So my apologies and thank you for the clarification. But what you're describing now is what happens here. We oftentimes refer to usually our Democratic presidents, uh, and in this particular case with President Biden, as the very best handgun salesman in America, because every time he and they open their mouths about banning guns, people flock to get them while they can before yeah. some crazy law is passed. So um, tell me this, Mr. Hillier, and, uh, and, and, and we really appreciate you coming on. Um, what do Canadians say 
generally speaking, what have you heard from Canadians when they see the number of mass shootings that are occurring down here in uh, in our in our country? Well, I think you know we it's the same as in the states, Bob. You know there is the uh, the Twitter verse commentary, uh, and then there's the sober, uh, reflective, uh, and thinking commentary. You know, we know that there is a problem uh, for anybody to go out and and intentionally kill others. There's something wrong with that person. Like that is, um, and and to see what's going on, I think we have to realize that we have a cultural problem, not a gun problem. Like we have very distorted uh, uh, views in our in our culture. And and we're failing to recognize what those things are. You know, here in Canada, one of our major provinces, BC, last week decriminalized uh, a significant number of hard drugs, everything from cocaine, heroin, fentanyl. Um, and you know, we know that drugs are often related with gun crime um, in in, ver- in various different. Uh, and, and here we are feeding fuel into our cultural problems, our societal problems, um, and, and saying, you know, um, like this is, we've, we've got to get to the root of this. You know, there are people with mental health problems. There's no question about that. Uh, I think a lot of what we're doing in our culture is exasperating those mental health problems. You mentioned earlier uh, where, uh, you know, this predominant push within our education system of confusing people about their their gender and about their identity and and uh, not understanding if they're a man or a woman. Like, uh, we can't be doing these really atrocious, egregious um, things and not expect that there's going to be sub- substantial consequences to it. We're talking with Randy Hillier. Mr. Hillier, I introduced you as former member of the of the Canadian Parliament, but uh, that was only three months ago, I guess, in March, that you made the decision not to run for re-election. Why? Well, um, last time we spoke, we spoke about the uh, the truckers' convoy and my very outspoken um, support of freedom here in Canada. As a result of that, um, I now have uh, I was detained and incarcerated. Uh, I have nine criminal counts against me now for my actions there. I, I, but you know, still pending. Really, still pending. I've come to I've come to realize, Bob, that politics can't solve the, what ails our society. Yeah, politics. Uh, you know, culture leads politics, and we have to start fixing and working on our culture more than we have to work on our politics, in my view. So I'm I focusing more of my attention now in speaking about the the cultural problems rather than the the partisan political goings-on. Are those things you could not speak to from your position in Parliament? Well, it's not that I couldn't. You know, there is a... I think I can speak with greater clarity and more more conciseness about um, what's going on than uh, I can when I held elected office. 
Uh, and an elected office here is very different. It's somewhat different than it is in the states. You know, we have a very rigid party discipline uh, approach here, and uh, and I found myself in constant uh, controversy and problems with my own political party um, because I won't accept that level of discipline. Mm-hmm. So, but we have to recognize that the people who are electing. Politicians, the people who are legitimizing our political system, they have a distorted view of what politics is going to do for them, and um, and it's and it's leading us to these significant problems in our society. Where you know, just like in Canada, many people in the United States wanted our governments to take away our freedoms. Okay? It wasn't government's fault so much as it was a lot of people actually were afraid of freedom. And I think we have to speak directly to people and say, why is it important to have not only freedom, but its underlying faith that is required as well? That is an astounding statement, uh, Mr. Hillier. We're talking with Randy Hillier. He's a former member of, member of the uh, Canadian Parliament. As he noted, we had him on during the trucker convoys as he was fighting for liberty uh, for for those truckers and for their families to be able to do their jobs without being forced to uh, uh, adhere to uh, mandates, Canadian mandates, as it pertained to COVID and other things. Uh, that's an astounding thing that there are people there that fear freedom. But I'll I'll ask you this. Um, do you believe, maybe, maybe I shouldn't say I'll ask it, I'm going to say it. I think that's happening here too, to a, to a segment of our population that I think there is a, a large portion of the leftist ideological side of our spectrum that fears freedom, that they don't want to be responsible for their own decisions and allow other people to be responsible for how they live. They really want to be controlled in some way. Is that what you're talking about that you see with well, with, with Canadians? Know, it, absolutely. There is, you know, we have been conditioning our society, our cultures. And, and you know, there's more and similar with Canadian and American culture than there are differences, Bob. Mm-hmm. You know, although there are some nuances and, and, and significant changes, differences, but we share a great deal. And and we can see this. I've traveled to the States often as well, and I'm a, I'm a great consumer of American mm-hmm. um, um, social commentary as well. And... There is a large segment, I think it's a larger segment here than in the States, who absolutely are fearful of freedom, as well as not even understanding what its value is. Okay? And that's, that's, they do not have the intellectual capacity to understand what value freedom provides them. Okay? Um, and, you know, and, and part of this, Bob, in my view, is that we have taken such a, um, with the rejection of faith, you know, faith gives us the the importance of the individual, the importance of self, um, and, and, and the majesty of your creation. Um, when faith has been rejected and the collectivist approach has been adopted, there is no longer any value to life. 
Well, I think, I think you're spot on then when you talk about similarities between our countries, because that is exactly what we see and we talk about and say down here. The people who are of faith, who do, who really do understand what their creation means, um, have a very, very different view of their freedom and a very, very different view of their country and as it pertains to our culture than those who lack faith and who don't really even believe they were created, that they just happened. Uh, you know, and of course that, that, I think that leaves a void. In their lives. Let me ask you this last thing, just to kind of compare the countries. People ask me what kind of a country we are ideologically. I tell them we're a center-right country. We're not a right-wing extremist country. We're certainly not a progressive country. I think we are center-right and maybe a little bit more right from the standpoint of um, the majority. It's the very, very loud and vocal minority that has gone so far left, that has really kind of tipped the scales. It's really pushing people who are centrist over to the right just by, just, just by pushback, basically, of what they're doing to our culture. That's how I would describe the states. We're center-right and becoming a little bit more right, although the left is very loud and vocal about it. How do you describe Canada? Well, I, I, I don't know how I would describe it, because I don't see it as a left or right so much. Uh, you know, uh, I, I do... Uh, Except your your view there that there is a, a a very loud and pronounced predominant left voice, um, it, but I you know what I'm seeing what I've really seen more in the last two plus years with COVID is um, we have a very timid, weak um, society. I think that's a better way of describing it, um, where uh, people. Uh, don't have the, you know, they, they have even lost their grounding and their understanding of what left and right is. Um, they don't understand the difference between individualism and collectivism, mm-hmm. uh, which is historically more the dividing line between left and right. Um, but, there, uh, w- you know, for many, many years we have uh, been encouraging people in our public education system and in our institutions, um, you know, not to be men, um, not to be women. You know, we use the term toxic masculinity yeah. uh, for a long time. Um, you know, we have we have made our society very weak, timid, and cowardly. Um, and, they, and they can be brought, to, uh, they can be moved by political propaganda, um, very easily. That's the well. Then you. The, those are very strong similarities. Ours, our society is doing the exact same thing in an almost the exact same way. Randy Hill, your former member of the Canadian Parliament, is my guest. Last question for you, just in thirty seconds, circling back to the beginning, that the, the the top issue we discussed, which is the Canadian gun ban proposed by Trudeau. As you point out, it has to be voted on in Parliament. It would take effect in the fall if this does go forth. What's your prediction? Is it going to be approved, or is, would there be a, a sanitized version of it, or what do you, what do you think is going to happen? I, I'm not certain yet. Uh, you know, events play a lot in politics, you know, and, and we've got some major, major events happening in our world, Bob, uh, how these things are going to play out. You know, one of the great contradictions of this is both uh, your country and mine have been flooding Ukraine with with far more significant firearms and weaponry than than anything we're talking about as far as gun control. Um, and, and a lot of it is un, unaccountable, uh, unaccounted for. Um, you know, we know that 
a great deal of the gun crime uh, in this country, at least, is um, done with illegal firearms already. We've had uh, handgun registration since the 1930s here, Bob. So, uh, but but we don't have a lot of handgun crime. Our the crime that does get committed with it is from illegal handguns to begin with, or illegal firearms to begin with. We have about, um, uh, as best I know, we have about 8 million firearms in the country, or maybe a little more than that. Um, that's a lot of people and a lot of firearms who, like myself, use them lawfully, use them legally, use them for recreation, use them for hunting, um, use them to protect my uh, my property and my chickens if I need to. Um, Absolutely. So how this is going to play out, I I wouldn't, um, I don't have a crystal ball on this, but I, I think there's going to be, um, there will be such a plethora of handguns sold recently. Um, I, I don't know how they're going to deal with it. I know that the liberals, the controlling aspects of our administration will continue to be relentless to control the population, though, and uh, and do everything in their power um, to eventually seize all those handguns. A familiar story, unfortunately, on this side of that border as well. Mr. Hillier, I really appreciate you coming on and letting, letting us know what's going on uh, in Canada. We're watching very closely to see what your parliament does because there is a population down here that wants to do the same thing. So we're going to be watching very closely, and we thank you so much for your time this morning. It's been an absolute pleasure. You have a lovely day. Thank you, sir. God bless. All right, that's Randy Hellyer, Canadian Parliament. We'll take this to the news. We'll come back and uh, try to squeeze some phone calls in here before we're done on AM 1420, The Answer. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. So we came in live about an hour late today because we had some tech issues. So we played a couple of really good interviews uh, in the first hour. Uh, Point being, I didn't get everything in I needed to get in this morning. So what we're going to do is take you all the way way till noon. So uh, we're not done. We're going to... Ask Mr. O'Reilly to take the morning off, and we're going to take you until noon so that I can get a bunch of the information in that I want to get in and also take some more of your phone calls. 216-901-0945, Either one of those numbers will bring you here. And I want to bring this call in now because uh, uh, Joe in Independence has been waiting ever since we were talking to Peter Kersenow. So uh, let's see if we can bring Joe uh, up and uh, see what he's got to say. Hey, Joe, thanks for calling this morning. Go right ahead, sir. <clears throat> Uh, do I have him on there? Joe, Joe. Oh, okay. Sorry about that. Push the wrong button. Hey, Joe, go ahead, sir. I just want to give a shout out. I listen to you guys every day, especially when Pete's on, because I was at Independence High School as one of the football and the wrestling coach there. And I remember Pete when he was about in the seventh grade, little skinny kid. <laughs> I had he and my son be the water boys. And then as he got into high school, he started lifting weights and became huge and did himself well, not only in school, but in athletics. And so just wanted to commend him him 
for being the kind of person he is. Voice of reason, like you people on that conservative side. Well, you know what? I agree with everything you just said. He is a tremendous person. Uh, he's still, by the way, skinny but muscular, just like he was in seventh grade and when he came into high school that you're talking about. I'm so envious of the guy, but he puts in the work. He puts in the work physically, and he obviously puts in the work in his career because he is a tremendous advocate for all of the things that we care most about here, uh, and we're glad to have him. So you know what I, I like to think sometimes, because I'm a former teacher and a former coach myself, I like to think that successful adults have a lot of people uh, you know, who were authority figures to them that were inspirational to them that helped them become who they are. So I'm sure what Pete turned into is to, is uh, due in no small part to some of the things that you uh, uh, that you did for him and with him when he was younger as well. So kudos to you as well, Joe. I like been there for uh, his speech, but I was my 70th reunion from Notre Dame and got back and got COVID, but I'm oh. still listening. Well, God bless you for that, and I thank you for calling in, Joe. I appreciate it. Have a great day, sir. You do the same. Thank Bye. you very much. There you go. That's uh, oh, I just just disconnected the wrong call. My apologies. <laughs> I'm just I'm having a rough morning as far as that goes. If you're on hold or if you were on hold and you just got disconnected, dial back. We'll put you up and on the radio because I think I just cleared all the calls. Uh, 216-901-0945, and that's okay for a moment because I want to advance a couple of ideas here that I was discussing earlier. And I didn't get a chance to get to, when we were going to start the morning, I was going to start talking about the new record of 496, I think it is a gallon, uh, 494. Uh, over 13 states have over $5 a gallon gasoline right now. And Joe Brandon, I played this earlier, I did get this one uh, earlier on, Joe Brandon believes that the American people are doing just hunky-dory when it comes to their finances. Since I took office, families are carrying less debt. Their average savings are up. A recent survey from the Federal Reserve found that more Americans feel financially comfortable than any time since the survey began in 2013. More Americans feel financially comfortable at 40-year inflation highs and record gas prices than at any time since 2013. Did he really say that out loud? He did. He also said Americans are carrying less debt. You know who carries less debt? People who charge off their debt. You know who carries less debt? People who file for bankruptcy and charge off their debt, which is happening more and more because people cannot afford to live in Joe Brandon's America. Now, having said that, I want to talk about what the solution to the energy crisis is, the oil crisis. Is it pump more American oil? Is it drill for more American oil? Is it explore for more American natural gas? Is that what it is? Nope. It's going hat in hand to Saudi Arabia to ask them to pump more oil because Joe Biden's green energy lobby won't allow him to change policies to do what is right for this country. Karine Jean, Jean-Pierre was completely baffled when it comes to Biden going to Saudi Arabia to beg for them to do what he won't do here, and that is produce more oil. I just want to get back to what you said a minute ago with Saudi Arabia. I mean, finding more oil and getting up to market is such a key part of, of the broader strategy with Russia right now. When OPEC Plus made that announcement, you could have a statement saying we recognize the role of Saudi Arabia in achieving this consensus. You're saying when the president, when senior administration officials are talking to people in Saudi Arabia, the question of oil production never comes up? I'm saying it's not it's not the it's not the focus it's not the on the agenda right that's something for OPEC plus to decide uh, clearly uh, Saudi Arabia chairs that uh, and so we just want to be very clear on that very uh, clear on what you're as clear as mud 
Every time we ask, what is the administration's plan to deal with record high gas prices, $5 a gallon crippling the American uh, economy, completely destroying the American middle class and their budgets, crippling the ability for people to to make their month-to-month payments on everything, you say he's doing everything he can. We're doing everything we can. But he's not doing everything he can. What he is doing is sucking up to the green energy lobby. He continues to not address the need for more oil immediately, and that would mean simply announcing the exploration expansion, and uh, the renewal of leases, um, the, the reconstruction of the pipeline. Instead, what has he done? He has decided to use the Defense Production Act to build more solar panels, not to produce more oil. Taking a step back from that, what emergency is the president using to invoke the Defense Production Act? Because historically it's been in the 1950s uh, for the, the Korean War and during COVID it was enacted. What emergency is it, or what's the real emergency in the solar industry for the Defense Production Act? Um, so let me, uh, I was going to say first, the president, you know, when he takes the Defense Production Act, it's to make sure that he's delivering for the American people. Uh, it is an important tool that he has used a couple of times and it has been incredibly effective. Uh, So uh, for this particular Clean Energy Defense uh, Production Act, uh, he is invoking the Defense Production Act to rapidly expand uh, domestic production. She's Kamala Harris. She's Kamala Harris. Repeat the same words over and over and over again without saying anything. I swear there's a competition uh, as to who can sound dumber. Biden, Harris, now Karine Jean-Pierre, and by the way, she is Trump. She has leaped right past Jen Psaki in the same position for sounding like an imbecile. The question was, what is the emergency that would require using the Emergency Defense Production Act to build more solar panels at a time when we can't fill our gas tanks? Uh, of solar panel parts, building insulation, heat pumps, and more. He is putting the full force uh, of the federal government's purchasing power behind supporting American clean energy manufacturers, and he is providing U.S. solar uh, deployers uh, the short-term stability they need to build clean energy uh, projects and deliver more affordability energy to American families and businesses. But what was the answer to the question? What emergency was there for a need right now for the Defense Production Act to be used to produce more solar panels? Americans can't fill their gas tanks, or if they do, they can't pay for their health insurance, or if they do, they can't pay for their rent, or if they do, they can't pay for their groceries. What is the emergency for solar panels, for crying out loud? What's the reality? The reality is they don't care about your high gas prices. In fact, as Senator Tom Cotton pointed out, they have said this is what they want. They've said so publicly. That's a good question, <laughs> Brett. I'm not sure what the emergency is here, other than he has a deep division in the Democratic Party and the solar industry between people who make solar panels in America and those who buy them. Uh, if Joe Biden is not willing to protect American manufacturers in the green energy industry, then he's not willing to protect any traditional industry from China's economic crimes, especially since it seems that a lot of the parts and inputs, if not the panels themselves, are made in the Xinjiang province where China uses slave labor from religious and ethnic minorities. But more fundamentally, Brett, when gas is approaching $5 a gallon on average across the country, 7 and $8 in some states, the fact that the 
Biden White House is focused on solar energy as opposed to getting gas prices under control really tells you where their priorities are. But what do you think yes. is at the heart of that? I mean, he says he wants to do everything to bring gas prices down. But obviously, they're not doing everything they could be doing. And this executive action proves that. Yeah, they're, they're not. It's not a priority because it's not a priority for Democratic politicians to bring gas prices down. Remember, this is exactly what Joe Biden said in the campaign, that we're going to phase out energy sources like oil and gas and coal. So for Democrats who have these Green New Deal fantasies, $5 gallon gas is not an accident. It's not an unintended consequence. It's very much the intended consequence. They want gas to be high because they want you out of your pickup truck or your minivan and want you to get into electric vehicles or scooters or mass transit or whatever it is that they ride around town in Washington. But that's not the way most Arkansans live. It's not the way most Americans live. Senator Cotton is spot on. It is exactly what he said during the campaign. Would there be any place for fossil fuels, including coal and fracking, in a Biden administration? No, we would would work it out. We would make sure it's eliminated. No more drilling on federal lands. No more drilling, including offshore. No ability for the oil industry to continue to drill, period. I guarantee what about, say, stopping fracking and stopping yes. new pipeline infrastructure? Yes. And, new pipeline. And, and, exactly. and, and, no more, no new fracking. We're arguing to get rid of fossil fuels. I've argued against any more oil drilling or gas drilling on federal lands. No one's going to build a coal-fired plant again, and we're going to get rid of the ones we have now. Have a transition from the oil industry, yes. Would you be willing to sacrifice some of that growth? even knowing potentially that it could displace thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of blue-collar workers in the interest of transitioning to that greener economy? The answer is yes. That was the promise during the entire campaign. Yes, I'm going to kill the natural gas, the, the coal, and the oil industries. I'm going to kill them. And yes, that is going to spike gases, and you're going to have to learn to live without uh, uh, gas pr- Excuse me, it's going to spike gas prices. And you're going to have to learn to live without oil and your gasoline-powered engines, because this is what he said just two weeks ago. And when it comes to the gas prices, uh, we're going through an incredible transition that is taking place, that God willing, when it's over, we'll be stronger and the world will be stronger and less reliant on fossil fuels when this is over. Sometimes you just have to believe people when they tell you who they are. And in this case, Joe Biden is telling you who he is. He is fully bought and paid for and owned by the green energy. I call them gangrene, the green energy lobby. He is, he is devoted to the climate change ideology, and he doesn't care how much you suffer in the meantime. Yet somehow, he expects you to vote for his party to continue this insanity in November. November cannot get here fast enough. And yet, we still don't even know if, when, if and when November gets here. Well, if not, not if, but when November gets here, if we will be able to do our jobs and replace these people. Because I still don't know if we can trust the vote. I just told you what we found in uh, uh, in uh, Georgia. They just they just literally tried to to completely jip a candidate out of her place in a runoff election, saying that she finished in third place by computer count. She demanded a hand recount. They found three thousand six hundred more votes for her. Three thousand six hundred more votes for her. She went from third place to first place. Now it is in the runoff election. And this continues to happen. And I don't want to get chase this rabbit too far down the hole, but, but uh, just we should hit these things when they come up because this is the same state that admitted 
that President Trump was gypped out of thousands of votes uh, during the 2020 presidential election because they of, of human error, they said, uh, in programming and entering the, mach- uh, the votes into the machines to count them. The Georgia Secretary of State's office admitted to making several programming errors in the Dominion voting machines, uh, voting systems machines. A hand count conducted in the entire state of Georgia following the 2020 general election found thousands of ballots that were not counted. Those discrepancies were also attributed to human error in the uploading of the ballots to the machines. President Trump, uh, also in Michigan, was denied thousands of votes because of what they're just calling just human errors having to do with the Dominion machines. Initially, Biden had a 3,000-vote lead in the northwest Michigan county of Antrim, if you recall, which Trump had carried by 30 points in 2016 over Hillary Clinton. But suddenly they're going for Joe Biden with a 3,000-vote lead? Are you kidding? A hand recount was conducted. And Trump carried that county by over 3,700 votes, so nearly a 7,000-vote swing, all attributed to human error just when they were you know, loading the pro and programming the Dominion voting machines. It just makes you wonder how many of these kinds of things are there out there. Can we fix this all in November? Not if we can't trust the vote. Do you think your $5 a gallon gas is going to go down? Well, it's going to be 6 by the end of July. And Lord only knows where it will end up. But do you think that's going to be relieved in November? First of all, even if we win, it won't. Because Biden is still calling the shots on killing fossil fuels in America. But number two, we don't even know if we're going to win. Because I don't know if we can trust. I believe it's a red tsunami in terms of the intent of the American voters. But I don't know that the intent of the American voters will be felt in the results of the midterms in November. For all of the reasons we just listed. Uh, let's go to uh, Diane calling us from Bay Village. Hey, Diane, you're on AM1420 The Answer. Go right ahead. Hi, Bob. Um, just want to let you know, just driving through North Olmstead, Sunoco, Shell, BP, they're up to 509. Um, and then second of all, newsflash, uh, Carolina Panthers from the um, NFL <laughs> have hired their first transgender black cheerleader. Now, if any American out there still supports the NFL, they need to go to the same institution that I hope her salary will provide her enough money to have her mental health checked. Um, And as far as a fair election in November, no, not going to happen. When that left machine gets going again, it is going to be a repeat of 2020. And I'm sorry to say that, but that's the way it's going down. Well, let's hope that you're wrong. Thank you, Diane. I appreciate the call, and thanks for the note about the uh, Carolina Panthers. I did talk about that in passing yesterday. It is just inconceivable, but yet here we are. And all I look, I don't want to be graphic, but you know the males who have to lift the females over their heads and usually have to put their hands in a place to hold them up, basically where the, the, the female cheerleader is sitting on the what they call the lifter, the male cheerleaders are called lifters, sitting on their hands. Um, that's going to get really, really uncomfortable for both lifter and liftee when the dude who's going to be wearing a skirt and girls cheerleading tights has to be lifted in such a way. Let's just say that. Uncomfortable doesn't even begin to describe it, but I think you understand the point. Uh, Mandy in University Heights. Hi, Mandy. Go right ahead. Hi, yes. I would like to 
price of gas. Actually, I just received an email that uh, Israel is going to give gas to Europe. How feasible? I do not know. But aren't we paying tax, taxpayer money? Go to the Congress and Senate. Can they take care of the customers? Taxpayers giving them salaries. What, are they going to do something with helping us with the gas prices? Or, or Biden is just a king? Well, unfortunately, Mandy, and I thank you for the phone call, they're not going to do anything with the gas prices. As I uh, played the clips before, this is all part of the strategy to try to force us off of fossil fuels and into green energy, which, of course, will do nothing to help save the planet. But most importantly, it will do a lot to cripple the American economy and to cripple Americans' bank accounts. All right, that's all the time we've got. We took it all the way to the top today because we had a little struggle at the beginning. Thanks for working your way through it with us. Thanks to Johnny. Thanks to Marianne for running our show today. And thanks to you for listening. Thanks also to Peter Kirstenau and Randy Hillier, our guests. I hope everyone has a great day. Stay safe. Stay free. And let's say this together now. Let's go, Brandon.